The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson. Here on the Hump Day edition of The Yard, a lot to talk about as always. Now that we got men's and women's hoops in action, a lot more content for us to write about and talk about. Good time to be a member over at jeanspage.com. Some cool things happening, to say the least. Keeping up with the AD search. You know, we expect that the pace of that to quicken here in the next uh, few days. We'll talk about that over on the read an article about that later today at, at Gene's page. So be sure and go check that out. We're going to talk about the University of Georgia today. Bulldogs with a big opportunity in front of them. Real challenge, too. Number one team in the country coming to Starkville, usually that's Alabama, right? <laughs> I guess occasionally it's been LSU, but more times than not, and we face number one team, it's a team from the West. Georgia rolling in. And Georgia, in many respects, kind of the new Alabama. Now, can they maintain that status? Uh, we'll see. I read with great interest yesterday, somebody shared with me, I think it was Mike Nemeth, that uh, Greg McElroy made the comment that NIL might uh, run Nick Saban into retirement. That's interesting. That's really interesting. I don't understand the motivation from all that, but the reality of it is college football and college athletics as a whole are changing. There are some people that will embrace it and other people that will get left behind. I I can't see Alabama getting behind with their donorship, but um, I kind of get the sense from talking to some people about Saban's comment is he doesn't like this being part of the recruiting piece. I think it's one of those things where all things are maybe considered equal and you have the more prestigious program, you should win those recruiting battles. However, when you introduce dollars and cents to things, all of a sudden, well, maybe I could like playing college football somewhere else. A lot of people's immediate needs may be I guess in some ways nicks the long-term needs. It's like, you know, yeah, I can deal with tomorrow, tomorrow, but right now I've got an immediate need. There are a lot of people out there in the recruiting world that are suckers for the quick reward. I think that's becoming part of the frustration for Nick Saban. You know, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but uh, again, just kind of framing that up. I'm not sure Nick Saban wants to recruit full-time in a world where you know, some schools have collectives that um, are greater than the gross national product of uh, a small country. I don't necessarily like the way things are trending in college athletics either. I've shared that with you all before. 
But the reality of it is, whether we like it or not, it's changing. So let, allow me, again, to encourage you to go to bulldoginitiative.com. Sign up for perhaps monthly disbursements. Make a uh, one-time donation. It's all up to you. But we could certainly use your support. We're never going to be able to compete financially with you know Florida, Georgia, people like that. We're not. But we've got to give our coaches an opportunity to compete when it comes to retaining players, getting players to opt in for bowl games and things of that nature. So it's important. So as always, give BulldogInitiative.com a look. You know, we did the $5 challenge at jeanspage.com last week. We did the $5 challenge. And so for every point Mississippi State scored in a win over Auburn, we donated, including myself. Even rounded up to 200 bucks, And was happy to make that disbursement. Happy. Happy with the win. Not happy with how we played at times. But happy with the win. And happy to make that donation. We'll probably do something like that again for the Egg Bowl. I don't expect us to win this week, so it'd be an exercise in futility. Not saying we can't, but I'm not expecting it. And expect us to blow out uh, East Tennessee State. Maybe we'll have a little fun with the Egg Bowl. All right, let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company. I love Bulldog Burger Company. I loved them before they loved me. I remember the first time I went to eat there. Remember where I sat. I had the Bulldog because I wasn't familiar with the rest of the items on the menu. And eventually, I ate them all. I've had everything on that menu. Every salad, every hamburger, every other sandwich, every dessert. Of course, I don't partake in alcoholic beverages, but I have some friends that do, and they tell me they enjoy having an adult beverage at Bulldog Burger Company. A great place to take your friends for a night out, perhaps a good family night. That's always fun. You know, kind of give mom a night off and say, you know what, hey, we're going to go out to eat tonight. You don't worry about figuring it out. That's always a nice thing to be able to do. So give mom a night out tonight at Bulldog Burger Company. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive in Stark Vegas with a great new patio area. Gloucester Street there in Tupelo and then Lake Harbor Drive in the Ridge and Flowood area. You never know. Could see some expansion at some point. Wouldn't that be great? The Bulldog Burger Company empire taking over. Great place to go eat. A great place to, you know, really just kind of recreate with friends. Have the spring rolls as your appetizer. You'll be glad you did. Get that chocolate shake to go. I'm a big proponent of this new movement of uh, the dessert to go. It's great. I like a palate cleanser. Maybe you're different than me. I like I like to have a little something to kind of cleanse the palate after a good meal. And I always get a great meal at Bulldog Burger Company. Be sure and go check them out today. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, let's talk about the University of Georgia. Now, here's what's interesting. And there are a couple things that I want to throw out here. I guess the first little nugget that I dug up yesterday, talking to somebody else, I did my own research. You know, we kind of talk about where we are as a program. We talk about, are we making progress? And we can break down numbers, we can break down statistics, and, and, and we can show some incremental improvement in a lot of areas. But at the end of the day, it's about wins and losses, right? Doesn't matter how many yards we throw for. Doesn't matter how many rushing touchdowns we have if we don't win a ball game. At the end of the day, everything we do, recruiting, marketing, 
ticket sales, everything is to that end. It is about winning. We don't just go play a game to have, you know, a reunion. Though it's fun. It's fun to have everybody here on campus. You run into people. Maybe the only time you see those friends is when Mississippi State's having a major sporting event. That, that's great. But it's secondary to the game. You go out and you pay a coach millions and millions of dollars. It's not just so he can drop a couple of good one-liners at the alumni function. You're paying that guy to go win games. And so we have had some good years in the past. But one of the things I thought was interesting, we talk about, you know, we have so many toss-ups this year on the schedule. Auburn, Arkansas, A&M, and in some respects, Ole Miss. Kentucky was one of them. We lose the Kentucky game. A lot of people thought we'd lose that one because it's on the road. And winning on the road this year in the Southeastern Conference has proven to be a little more difficult than most years. And I can't really explain why that is, but really nobody around the league, maybe with the exception of Georgia, is consistently winning on the road. And even Georgia's had some challenges. Remember, they nearly lost to Missouri. But do you know how many years in our history we have beat Auburn, Arkansas, and A&M in the same year? Think about it for a second. Now, granted, A&M joined the league in 2012. So we're only talking 10 years here, right? We're not talking, you know, the full expanse of the Mississippi State football experience. I even went back and double-checked, and we beat them in 2000, you know, in the snowball. And there are other times that we played them in Auburn in the same year, but not Arkansas prior to to A&M joining the league. But in the time that A&M has been a Southeastern Conference foe, we have swept those three schools just three times. 2014, you probably could guess that one immediately, right? 2014, we absolutely did it. 2018, Joe Moorhead's first year, we did it as well. A year that I think, even to this day, and I hate to belabor the point, but that's a year we underachieved. We had an NFL championship caliber defense and just could not get things going offensively. But we still managed to beat Auburn, Arkansas, Texas A&M that year. And the third time, this year. This year. What's interesting, too, when I look at all of this, and I think let's throw Ole Miss into the mix, right? Because I still think that's a toss-up game. There are some other people out there that are saying, no, they're going to have a chance. Yes, we absolutely have a chance. Stop being silly. Stop being silly. You never know what the two teams are going to look like by the time we get to the ballgame. Not to mention, uh, Mike Leach, of course, according to some people close to the situation, Mike Leach – requested the 11 a.m. kick for East Tennessee State. I know many of you don't like that. You want to spend all day on campus. However, but with a short week, we're at home at 11 a.m. Ole Miss is on the road at 6 p.m. You don't get a full day, but you get a lot of a day to kind of get your – number one, you get guys in a training room, kind of get your training staff working, you get your – Get your film crew working. You get cut-ups done. You know, so that preparation may prove to be significant for Mississippi State. But what's interesting, in 2018, that is the only year in our history. And, again, we're only talking – A&M's only been in the league since 12. But we beat Auburn. We beat A&M. We beat Arkansas and beat Ole Miss in the same year. It's only happened one time. 
and that was in 2018. Got a chance to do it again this year. And you start looking through that and say, well, you know, Steve, you know, four and four, you in the league. It's not great. It's not, but it's kind of what we've, well, what we've done. You went off four non-conference games. You finished 500 in the league. You usually get a pretty good bowl game. I've actually done some bowl projections of my own. I haven't published all those yet because I want to see how the games go this weekend. If I had to, to uh, kind of knock this out for you, if we lose, let's say we lose to Georgia, beat, beat East Tennessee State, and lose to Ole Miss, I, I suspect we're headed to the Texas Bowl. That's what I think. And, again, there's still a lot of moving parts to all this. We've never been to the Texas Bowl. They wanted us last year. We wanted to go to Liberty, which was a, an absolute disaster. But the Texas Bowl, I think, would be an attractive location. Houston, it's fun. If we win the Egg Bowl, I think Mississippi State ends up in Florida. And, and you start running the numbers here, and you start thinking about who is in the New Year's Six, who's in the playoff and things like that. Could be another trip to, to Jacksonville. And we've been there a lot lately. I remember there was a time we, we would aspire to get to something like the Gator Bowl. We've been three times now. But I think it's pretty, pretty confident, I confidently say, that if we win and things kind of work out the way we expect, we'll be in a Florida Bowl, even at 8-4. and four. And so I think you, if you end the year 8-4 and four, and you end up in a Florida Bowl, I think we can say this year was a success. Was it as successful as it could have been and perhaps should have been? I'd have to say no, but it would be a step forward. And so, again, think about that. I don't think we're headed to a Tennessee ball game. One of the things, too, and, I, and I, I'm a conspiracy theorist, and maybe, I don't know, I don't know why, maybe I, I, I'm always kind of a discriminating thinker when it comes to these kinds of things, but uh, Arkansas intrigues me. When I look at this schedule, I'm very intrigued by what's happening at Arkansas. And you think about how disenchanted at times we have been with our roller coaster season this year. And that's fair. I mean, like, you, know, you want what's best for your team, and then you get frustrated. And we talked about it on, on, on the show many times with baseball. It's like, you know, how many great Mississippi State baseball teams have we had and you lose to LSU? And it's like, well, this is just not the year. You know, it's like every year we think maybe next year. And then you get there and it's like, no, nah, this isn't it. Well, fortunately, we have an AFL championship under our belt now. So maybe perhaps we can abandon that line of thinking. But think about Arkansas this year. It's pretty crazy to think about, you know, the path of their season and kind of still what's ahead of them. And I, I want to offer a conspiracy theory to you here. To you here. To you here. Let's look at Arkansas' schedule a little bit. You know, they got off to the big start. You know, it's like, ah, you know, Sam, and I like Sam Pittman. But they beat top 25 Cincinnati Bearcats. They beat South Carolina. They have to come from behind. They beat Missouri State. And they ascend into the top 10 in the AP poll. They're top 10 team. And then they lose to A&M, drop to 20. And then A&M elevates up to, what, 17? And then Arkansas loses to Alabama. They come to Starkville. They lose here. So all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're on rank. We are. We're ranked. They're not. So now you're 3-3. Three and three. 
you go on the road, you beat BYU, you beat Auburn, now you're feeling good about yourself again. And we talked about on the show, Arkansas had a chance to get hot late here and kind of play them their way into something really cool. That's the reason we play the game. They had Liberty for homecoming, and then Liberty had them as, as one of the biggest wins in school history. And again, tip of the cap to Hugh Freeze and his staff. They went right into Razorback Stadium, and they punched Arkansas in the mouth, and Arkansas ended up chasing the game. And, and again, you know, Hugh Freeze, despite his personal failings, he does a good job getting buy-in from his players. He convinces them that they are just as good as their opponents. They go out there and they play with some reckless abandon. They are fearless. That's how Ole Miss was able to beat Alabama. Not only did they have some talent at Ole Miss at the time, and we can talk about ill-gotten gains if you want to, but the reality of it is, is they were not scared to go play. And so they go beat Arkansas. Now, LSU, and this is going to be interesting, this game with LSU and Arkansas is going to be so crazy because LSU finally over the hump. They can, they can win the West this weekend with a little help. They can win the West. If Alabama beats Ole Miss, LSU beats Arkansas, LSU wins the West. Now, based on what we've seen, how unpredictable the West has been this year, anything could happen. Anything could happen, right? But what if LSU rolls into Fayetteville and wins that ballgame? Brian Kelly and his staff, there's a real challenge in front of them. Can they finish? And Sam Pittman and those guys aren't bowl eligible yet. So let's say LSU beats... Arkansas wraps up the West. Arkansas still not bowl eligible with two games left. Ole Miss in Razorback Stadium and then on the road to Missouri. And stay with me here. Let's say Ole Miss loses to Alabama. We expect that. I do expect it to be a very interesting game. I think Ole Miss could beat Alabama. I mean, how motivated is Alabama going to be to play knowing they can't make the playoff? And Ole Miss still has some big things left to play for. And if you're Lane Kiffin, you're kind of licking your chops a little bit. I've kind of got a wounded Alabama team coming into my stadium, and I've got a good ball team. But I still think Alabama wins the game. I think Nick Saban will find a way. Well, then Ole Miss has to go to Razorback Stadium. What if Arkansas beats Ole Miss? It's certainly possible. You know, Sam Pittman and his staff, I think, at that point, started getting a little bit desperate. It's senior day, you know. What kind of physical conditions Ole Miss going to be in when they get there? And the same can be said for Arkansas. LSU's a physical team, too. But let's say they win that game. And then they have to travel to Missouri, who was playing better as of late. Defensively, they've been good. Arkansas offensively has been very up and down. There's no calls for Kendall Browles to get a head coaching job this year. Do you think... Did somebody somewhere says, you know what? Now that Arkansas is bowl eligible, we need to get Missouri bowl eligible. That's the Black Friday game. I'm telling you, and maybe it's because I've watched too many Oliver Stone movies. Missouri Tigers will lose to Tennessee this week. They'll beat New Mexico State next week, and they will host Arkansas with the chance to get bowl eligible against an Arkansas team that is dropped from the top ten to the point that they are fighting for bowl eligibility with three games left against SEC teams. That's pretty crazy to think about. So, again, don't be surprised if Arkansas fans are complaining about officiating after Black Friday. All right, again, let's get into Georgia now. You may not know this. and um, Mother's Day is almost here. And you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. 
a watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried and true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Again, I wanted to kind of throw those little nuggets at you. But um, looking at this Georgia series, uh, you may not know this, but Mississippi State has played Georgia the fewest times of all of the longstanding Southeastern Conference members. Did you know that? And you would say, well, that means Georgia's played us the fewest times too. That'd be correct. And you would think, well, what opponents in common? Who has Georgia played the most? Well, you think, well, probably Georgia Tech. Nope. It's Auburn. They played Auburn 126 times. They played Mississippi State. You ready for this? 25 times. They have played Auburn more than 100 times than they've played Mississippi State. And we're in the same conference. Now, granted, some of those dates go back to the infancy of college football. You know, in Auburn and Georgia, not too terribly far apart from each other. We have not played Georgia with the same even close, same level of regularity we have other teams in our conference. It's pretty crazy. The series began in 1914. Mississippi State wins a game. Matter of fact, State won three of the first four. And ironically, only one of those games did both teams score. That was a 1956 win for Mississippi State in Athens. What's interesting, too, we have played Georgia in Starkville just six times. We've got two and four record at home against them. That's it. We spent most of our time playing over in the Peach State. But after we get that, you know, three and one record to open the series, it's really been all Georgia. I mean, think about that for a second. Three of our six wins against Georgia came prior to 1960. From 1959 to 1967, we played five times. Georgia wins them all. Couple, well, three of those games really competitive, uh, decided by a score. And all but one of those played in the state of Georgia. In 1966, we play them in Jackson, lose that game 20-17. State finally gets a win in the series back in 1970, a 7-6 win over Georgia. It was a big win in, in Jackson. 1971, we go back to Athens. They shell us 35-7. 1974, the Bulldogs again. The biggest win in the series, I think, in many respects for State, a 38-14 shelling of the silver-bridged Bulldogs in Jackson, Mississippi. 1975 through 2006, Georgia wins every game. And many of these were not competitive. The biggest margin of victory in the series for Georgia happened in 1997. They beat us 47-0. I think it was Robert Edwards, a big running back for them then. You think about 82, that was a memorable game too. It was a huge game. That's John Bond versus Herschel Walker. 
Dana Moore with a touchdown pass. That's right, Dana Moore. Touchdown pass. We faked a punt. We had a chance to win it late, and then we uh, fumbled the football on top of the pile, and we lose. But, uh, you know, the great Herschel Walker had a big day. But uh, we had a good team in Mississippi State that year. The record didn't necessarily reflect our talent level, and we lost a lot on defense from 80 and 81 teams. A lot of people contend the 81 defense, probably the greatest defense of all time at Mississippi State. I think you could make an argument 2018 kind of right there with them. But again, very interesting ball game for us, and we lose. But um, not a lot of competitive games in that streak. I guess in 88 in Starkville, they beat us 42-35. Our next win in the series was 2010, Dan Mullen's second year at Mississippi State. We won that game 24-12, and many of you, like me, remember like it was yesterday because, again, we don't play Georgia very often. And so it's memorable to us because the G has not visited Davis Wade Stadium, but a handful of times. What I remember about this game, there are a couple couple plays, and one of them you know where I'm going. It's when Nico Whitley changed the course of Washana Ely's football career. Washana Ely at the time was the most accomplished prep running back prospect in the state of Georgia. He signs with Georgia. He's about to score, and Nico Whitley hits him. He fumbles. We recover the fumble. It was a big moment in the game. Washana Ely was never the same. Never the same. Eventually left the University of Georgia. I have no idea where he landed, but his college career proved to be a disappointment. It's it's crazy. It really is. But the play that I remember, and you guys may recall this too, we're running the football trying to put the game away. You recall this? Chris Ralph absolutely killing Georgia. And we're just like, hey, let's just kind of get out of here. Let's just kind of go slow things down. We were kind of playing not to lose. You remember this? And I remember <laughs> that fateful drive. It was just one of those things where it was like we kind of grew up as a football program in this ball game. I think this is when we kind of realized that Dan Mullen was for real. We thought we thought felt good after 09, but I think 2010s were like, you know what? We can compete with anybody. In the fourth quarter, that that quarter begins in a in a uh, seven to six ball game, and Sean Broccoli hits a field goal to make it a 10-6 ball game. So now a field goal can't beat us. We still got a quarter to play. We end up forcing a punt. We drive down, and this is it. This is the play to me where Mississippi State grew up as a football program. We take over at our seven-yard line. Ralph runs for six, and Ralph runs for two. We call a timeout. Brings up a third and two from our 15. We get it out to Vic Boward on the pass. It's first down. Ralph runs for four. Ralph runs for three. Brings up a third and three. Vic Boward gets two. So now it's a fourth and one. From our forty, from our thirty-nine yard line, and rather than punt the football, Dan Bowen's like, "Nope, we're going." And Vic Boward runs for four yards. We get the first down, and now we're thinking, you know what? We're just going to run all the way down the field. Vic then goes for three, and on second and seven from the forty-six, Vic gets loose for twenty-one yards. We're at the Georgia thirty-three. And like many of you, I'm thinking, let's just keep running zone read and we'll work this clock down and we can put this game away. Maybe we can get a field goal. Defense can make it stand up. 
But instead, Dan Mullen called in the kill shot. Chris Ralph drops back the pass, and I would say 70% of Davis Wade Stadium was like, no. And he lays it up, and Arcedo Clark makes the catch. 33 yards, touchdown, extra point is good. The ball game is over. State now with a 17-6 lead with five minutes to play. Aaron Murray's on this team, too, for Georgia. This was not a, a Georgia team depleted of talent. But we weren't done. Nope, we weren't done. We get the stop on a fourth down play at the Georgia 21. Great job by the Bulldog defense. K.J. Wright a part of that, too. State goes right back down, and we score. Vic Boward scores from one yard out. It is now a 24-6 game. There is joy in Starkville, and Georgia added a trash touchdown with under a minute to go, kick the onside kick, and then work out. But that game against a team that has always given us trouble and the fact that Dan Mullen went out there and kind of dictated terms to Georgia was huge. And I think it gave us all not only some belief, but a bit of self-esteem. Now we're thinking, you know what, hey, Mississippi State is good. we got a chance to go do some good things here. That's the last time Georgia has been to Starkville. And the last time they came in here, they had a good team, and we beat them. 2011, we go back to Georgia. We lose 24-10. The only touchdown for the Bulldogs was a pick six by Darius Slay. The next time we played Georgia was in 17, and all the offense could manage was a field goal. Again, we lose 31-3. There were a lot of people then. If you recall, this is the big the Todd Grantham Bowl. A lot of people were saying Mississippi State was the second-best team in the Southeastern Conference, and we went to Georgia and got absolutely smashed. Then followed it up the next weekend to prove it wasn't a fluke, got smashed by Auburn. But that was a good 17 team. And the very first play for Georgia, if you remember, was the uh, halfback pass. They got us to bite on the on the, the halfback toss, touchdown pass, and from there, Georgia absolutely rolled. Nick just couldn't get anything going. In 2020, a game that we all thought would be an absolute shelling ends up being a good game for State. We didn't win win the game. But I think this game, we kind of began to think, you know what, Mike Leach is, Mike Leach is for real. I mean, we could have easily canceled the game or postponed the game. Maybe you've forgotten the COVID protocols, but we could have just opted out of that game. But we didn't. We went down there and played. We had, we had 49 players, 49 scholarship players on the dress list, and then some of them had to be dropped for you know late testing protocols. This game, Mississippi State jumps out in this ballgame. What I remember, too, is the moxie, and confidence of Will Rogers. Will Rogers was not the least bit intimidated by the University of Georgia. You go right down there, you get the ball first. And not only did we just get it first, we won the toss and wanted the football first. We go right down the field with a 15-play, 71-yard drive, and we kick a field goal. Eight up, eight minutes on the clock. But you start putting 15 play drives against the University of Georgia together, you got a chance to win. So it's 3 nothing. Kind of just get through that first quarter, and you're like, you know, hey, defensively playing good. We're going to need to score some more points, but, hey, we're right here with this. Georgia then takes a 7-3 lead, and rather than flinch, Mississippi State immediately answers. Come right back down the field, a 14-play, 75-yard drive, Dylan Johnson, 
runs for four yards for the touchdown. Now it's 10-7, Mississippi State. You're thinking, okay, well, now, well, Georgia's woke up now. They'll get going. Well, no, no, not really. They get a decent little drive here. That they make JT Daniels had a huge game against us. They have, if we have one SEC safety in this ball game, we win the game. Because what basically they did is they, they saw they couldn't run the football, so they just started taking shots late down the field. And we had some very young guys playing as freshmen because of COVID protocols and injuries. But they get the field goal here to tie it. And again, State answers. You did what good teams do. And you got to think Georgia fans are probably freaking out. It's like, okay, we're, we're good. No, we're not good. Will Rogers, again, takes you right down the field. He hits Jaden Wiley for that 51-yard touchdown pass, and that's when people said, you know what, this Wiley kid's for real too. Now it's 17-10 because you've got a three-star kid converted high school quarterback from Iverville, Mississippi, outrunning those four and five stars in the secondary like it was nothing. And at that point, I think we all began to believe. Georgia comes back and ties it with a field goal. It's 17-all at the break. And we're thinking, you know what, we can move the football on these guys. You worried about depth a little bit. You know, you begin to worry a little bit, hey, are we going to be able to, you know, hang in here with them because we've only got, you know, 40-some-odd players. But Georgia comes out, and again, JT Daniels was outstanding. It really was. As good as Will was, JT was a little bit better. Just was. Had a little better talent around it, too. But uh, they go right down the field. They hit the big pass on second and seven, 48-yard touchdown pass to Jermaine Burton, who's now at Alabama that should not have played in the ballgame against Mississippi State this year. Just, just throw that out there. Maybe, you, maybe you've heard. So, for the first time in, in the game, Georgia, I guess since the first quarter, Georgia has the lead, twenty-four seventeen. And again, Mississippi State answers. Says a little bit about these guys, right? Again, it's two years ago, but State puts together eleven play, seventy-five yard drive. Dylan Johnson in from the three-yard line. The big play on this was a nineteen-yard pass to Austin Williams. They got it inside the Georgia red zone. So now it's 24-all, and you're thinking, you know, man, are we going to do this? Next thing you know, defense gets a stop. And now you're thinking, we've got them off schedule. We have found some success. Let's go down there and get it done. But we get behind the chains a little bit, and we end up having to punt. We can't go to the fourth quarter in a tie game with Georgia. And right now you're thinking, can somebody just step in front of a pass? Can you get a pick six? We get the ball. After a uh, 56-yard punt from Georgia, got a chance to go take the lead here. We don't. We end up going three and out. And this is when the Georgia defense really stiffened here. And then they, they get the three and out. They go right down and they score to make it a 31-24 game. Will Rogers, Bulldogs, did their best to answer. We just couldn't get it done. We actually get out there near, near midfield and we just we give up a sack there. That, that was really the turning point in the game. Even though Georgia had the lead, you know, we've got a little bit of rhythm offensively here, and then on third and five, we get sacked. And rather than give up, we punt. Defense gives us a stop, so we get the ball back again. Driving down and then have to go for it on fourth and four from our 47, and uh, they sack us. And so you've got an opportunity, again, a chance to go down there to Athens, Georgia, and win a ball game. And while we didn't win, and I'm not a big believer in moral victories, we showed that we're capable of competing with these guys. My hope is, is that some of the guys that made that trip, you know, we talked about 
Mike Leach talked about we were scared of Alabama. I just don't think we're going to be scared of Georgia. And that's not to say that maybe we shouldn't be in some respects. Georgia's a better football team than us. But it's just kind of like life. There, there are two kinds of people. There are those who think they're going to make it and those who think they won't. And the funny thing is they're both right. If we go out there thinking, well, we just need to survive this game and not get anybody hurt, there's a good chance that both of those things happen. you got to go out there and punch. And I think that we're going to go out there and compete. I don't expect us to win. I don't think Mississippi State is going to be intimidated by the Georgia logo. I don't. I think that we will go out there and compete at a high level. Do I think we're going to win? No, I'll say it again. I don't think that we're going to show up and play scared. I don't. More on Georgia later in the show. Let's get to today's top 10 list brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. And here's a cool thing today. Here's a cool thing. By listening to the show, I'm going to give you guys an opportunity to win four free tickets to this weekend's sold-out game between Mississippi State and Georgia. How about that? Four free tickets this weekend. Good tickets. I'll have them transferred directly to you, and you can do what you want to with them. I just ask that you don't go out and sell them on on, uh, StubHub or whatever. If if you win, you need to make sure you're coming to the game. So four free tickets, courtesy of CloseWithBlair.com, to this weekend's sold-out game between Mississippi State and Georgia. You're going to want to be there. So let me give you the question. So Mississippi State, we talked about the 82 Game against Georgia, John Bond. You know, John was originally a Starkville native. He moved to Georgia and ultimately came back to be a Bulldog. What high school, what high school did John Bond play for? That is your trivia question. John Bond, one of the most beloved players in Mississippi State history, Nearly won that game against Herschel Walker. What high school did former Mississippi State quarterback John Bond play for? It's a good question. That It's easy to find. And so here's how you respond. You just tweet me the answer. And then I will pick a winner at random among all the, cor- the correct answers. Again, what high school did former Bulldog quarterback John Bond play for? Very easy. And a, kind of a prestigious one, too. One with a rich football heritage. So you, you look that up, you tweet at me, and I will pick one winner from the, the correct answers, and you will have four free tickets to this weekend's sold-out game between Georgia and Mississippi State. Again, that's courtesy of CloseWithBlair.com. Be sure and check out Blair at Close with Blair, C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com, CloseWithBlair.com. For all your mortgage needs, you're looking to refinance, perhaps buy a home for the first time, Blair is absolutely the way to go. And if you mentioned to him, you heard about him on this show, he will pay for your appraisal, which is a $500 value. And so uh, let's take a quick look at some things. I guess before we do, I should give you Blair's phone number, right? Blair's phone number, you can call or text him directly. How about that? 601-500-2344. Again, 601-500-2344. And again, thanks uh, to Blair for making this promotion possible. Again, four free tickets. What cool. Just listen to this show. Being a Boneyard listener, you can get your appraisal paid for, your appraisal paid for, and possibly a chance to win. Free tickets to a sold-out ball game. 
going to be amazing. Okay, so we're doing the Rock of Georgia today. And there's a lot of bands from Georgia. A lot of them are kind of Southern rock. Some of them are alternative. I can't say I'm a huge fan of the Georgia music scene, but I will tell you this. A few of my favorite bands hail from the great state of Georgia. All right, so here we go. A few honorable mentions for you. ARS, that's the Atlanta Rhythm Section. I would have put them on the list, but however, they weren't a real band. They were a bunch of studio musicians that got together and recorded an album. It was mainly more of a project. You know, Imaginary Lover and So Into You, that's them. The B-52 is not really my thing, but we will tip the cap to them. They were very popular. Uh, the Dixie Dregs with Steve Morris. And I, I, BJ Cummings would be upset with me if I didn't mention his favorite band. He is part of the widespread panic cult. And so tip of the cap to uh, BJ. One of my favorite nights at Howlin' Mouse was the night we got to see Follow For Now play. Some of you remember that? Like, oh, yeah, I was there, Steve. I was there, too. It was incredible. It was absolutely incredible to see them. Follow for now, a band that opened for Pearl Jam regularly. They're from Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, so there's your honorable mentions. Let's get to the list. Number 10, a band that I know BJ's going to like, too. I'm not a big jam band guy, as I've told you guys before. And I, I guess I'd be remiss, too. I, I would give a, an honorable mention to the drive-by truckers, even though they're not, they're not technically from Georgia. All right, but number 10, it's Blackberry Smoke. Could have gone a lot of different directions here. I went with Sanctified Woman. I like I liked the rocker side of Blackberry Smoke. Number nine, really kind of a one-hit wonder. They had a secondary hit with Battleship Chains, but the Georgia Satellites, Keep Your Hands to Yourself, is your number nine song on the Rock of Georgia. Number eight, every time, I don't, I don't listen to this band very often. They had a big following. I went and saw them with an ex-girlfriend of mine. She absolutely could not wait to go see them. And we went on the Fly Me Courageous tour. It's driving and crying. I went with Build a Fire. Great song. Like the guitar on that one a lot. Driving and Crying, number eight. Number seven, it's the band Jackal. A little bit controversial at times. Does some outlandish things. My favorite Jackal song, without question, is When Will It Rain? I love the vocal on it. I love the guitar on it. The lyrics are great. To me, it stands above all the rest of them. Of course, we first got to know Jackal because of the Lumberjack song but they're originally a Georgia band. Number six, to kind of modernize things just a little bit. This is not a novelty act. A lot of people think Chris Jericho is just out there uh, like doing rock music on the side just as, as for fun. Fozzie has had a bunch of big hits, man. My favorite song from them, I've got a couple of them, but the one that, uh, that didn't make, that's not a single, it's kind of a deeper track, is the song Three Days in Jail. Love that one. I like drinking with Jesus, too, even though I never I never do. But um, Three Days in Jail with Fozzie, your number six song. Number five, I probably should have put these guys higher on the list, but I felt like that I would almost be disrespectful to the bands that are ahead of them because of their contributions to rock music. But it's the rock band Seven Dust. Yeah, originally from Georgia. I decided to go with one of my favorite songs that maybe you guys are a little unfamiliar with from the Animosity album, and they're actually out on the road now playing that in its entirety. It's the song Praise. Absolutely love this one. This is one of those grit-your-teeth-hit-the-gas-pedal type songs. Praise from Seven Dust, number five. 
Number four, a band that I've never been a big fan of, but I absolutely respect. I've been to the uh, the church steeple in Athens when I went to go cover Mississippi State baseball against Georgia, took a picture. I'm not an R.A.M. fan uh, at all, but I cannot talk about the rock music of Georgia without mentioning the contributions of R.A.M. Losing My Religion is, is a phenomenal song. It absolutely is. But I went with one back before that. Before R.A.M. really became a national act where they were really just kind of an alternative rock band that were getting you know, kind of alt play. They were like on, on 120 minutes. They weren't getting mainstream stuff. But I think the word, the first song that really hit the radio that made people think this is more than just a college band was The One I Love. That's your number four song today. R.E.M.'s The One I Love. My sister Kim bought me that... that um, she bought me that that tape. And I love Kim. Her and David just celebrated uh, what 36 years of marriage yesterday. I love them both. But I went and exchanged that R.E.M. tape in for... Uh, I want to say it was Loudness. But anyway, it was a metal band, right? All right, number three, and some of you would say, Steve, you've got these guys ahead of R.A.M. Well, I like them better than R.A.M. How about that? It's Collective Soul. Did you know they were from Georgia, too, from Stockton, Georgia? Yeah, maybe you didn't. We're going back to the beginning from uh, the very first album, and we're going to go with the very first single. It's Shine. Love that song even to this day. Collective Soul, what a great, solid band. Shine from Collective Soul, number three, on the Rock of Georgia. I think, I think most people probably know what's coming on the next two. You may not know the order, but you probably know who's coming. Number two, drumroll please, it's the Black Crows. And I'm going back to twice as hard. I love Shake Your Moneymaker. I love that album. I love the album title. I love every song on there. I'm a big Black Crows fan. I have every album. Had them for a long time. Bought them when they first came out. I didn't. I, I wasn't an eBay guy that went back and bought them like uh, at once and put them on my shelf so I could say, hey, look at me and what I've amassed in my life. I bought these albums as they came out. Matter of fact, I've got the Amorica original cover, and uh, you can do your Google research on that. But uh, twice as hard, number two. That that I love Jealous Again. That's As soon as I heard Jealous Again, I was like, this is something cool. And then Twice as Hard came out, and then everything kind of got big for them, and then they released their cover of Hard to Handle, and all of a sudden Black Crows was a headliner. But number one, they were originally founded in Jacksonville, Florida, but eventually based in Macon, Georgia. When I was in uh, Athens last time, I thought about making the day trip down there to pay my respects but I didn't. Maybe next time I'll have some time. I can go down there. I, I like to go do that kind of stuff. I know that sounds kind of sad and maybe macabre, but I like to go to the grave sites and pay my respects to so many people that have made tremendous contributions to, to rock music. But it's the Allman Brothers. Could go a lot of different ways here, but I went with The Whipping Post. That's your number one song. The Whipping Post by the Allman Brothers on the Rock of Georgia. Fun list. Very diverse list, covers a lot of time, covers a lot of different genres. All of it's rock and roll, whether it be alternative rock, southern rock, metal, it's all rock. I love it all. Some more than others, but I love it all. Kind of like women, they're all beautiful. Some just more beautiful than others. There are, there are really no bad rock songs, just some better than others. 
So if you have ideas for the top 10 list, reach out and let us know. The best way to do that is to hit Roy up on Twitter at Dogmatic67. You can also find our great list on Spotify at Dogmatic67. I would encourage you just go ahead and maybe subscribe to Roy or follow him on Twitter to make it easy to find these lists. I get a lot of people that hit me up and I say, hey, Steve, what about this list? I'm happy to send them to you when I have time to find them. Roy is very good at uh, – Roy's a lot more organized than me. I'll be quite honest with you. Uh, but I appreciate Roy's contributions to the show. Again, top ten list, the Rock of Georgia today. Should be a fun one. Should be a good driving track. Like if you're out riding around and you're tired of like there's nothing good on the radio and there rarely ever is, which is what makes Apple Music and Spotify so amazing is I don't have to listen to your pre-selected crap. I can pick up my own stuff. And maybe put this list on and just kind of roll through here. Whether you be a young guy, an old guy, young girl, whatever. Uh, there are, again, some great, great bands that hail from the state of Georgia. Be sure and check it out. The Rock of Georgia. Today's top ten list. Brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. All right, next segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart, a Stark Billion institution. Be sure and check them out when you're in town. Go by and see their smiling faces, the lovely, talented Susie, the fabulous Kathy Brown, and Miss Pam Menyard. Very, very close to me. I love all these people. They're like family to me. They'll be like family to you. They'll treat you like family because in their minds, you are family. It's not just because I'm so doggone special. They love all Bulldog fans, do a great job for a wonderful fan base. Most extensive selection of Mississippi State merchandise in the known universe. Bully Shop has been completely renovated. It's all upstairs now. Every time I go in there, it's packed. On game day, it's absolutely packed. A lot of Bulldogs been able to pick up Christmas gifts for their Bulldog family. If you can't make it to town, let me encourage you to visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays, and that is BSR. That gets you free shipping on all orders over 75 bucks, and you know you're going to spend it. We're going to save you a little cash, give you some incentive to do business with Campus Bookmart. Again, that's campusbookmart.net, promo code BSR. All right, let's look inside the Georgia Bulldogs here. The numbers are not promising. There's a reason this team is number one in the country. Georgia averaging just over 40 points a game, allowing just over 10. So they're outscoring their opponents by nearly 30 points a game. That shouldn't be a surprise. Let's take a quick look at the schedule. And you and these numbers, you know, again, you kind of look at this, and you're like, yep, I get it. So they open up and they smash Oregon 49-3. A lot of people build that as a huge game in the early going, and Georgia had their way with the Ducks. 33-0 winners over Samford. Maybe it's because Georgia elected to be a little conservative and vanilla. They won easily, as you'd expect. But nevertheless, 33 points against the Samford defense, you think, ah, you know, maybe Georgia doesn't have it. The next week they get the Gamecocks of South Carolina and Columbia, it's a 48-7 to game. And then they struggle. Kent State put up 22 points on Georgia in Athens. I bet you didn't see that coming. I didn't either. And it's not like it was a game, too, where, like, Georgia got up big and just coasted. Kent State made it a bit of a ball game. It was 14-3. to Four, excuse me, 12-3 after one. But at the break, it's 26-13. to 13. 
And then in the second half, Georgia outscores them 13-9. But Kent State able to move the football in this ballgame, which uh, really surprised me, to be quite honest with you. They're able to, they were kind of, you know, kind of opportunistic, I guess you could say. It wasn't a huge day offensively for them, but they were able to, you know, to convert a little bit, make some things happen. But uh, 39-22. So they win by 17. They don't cover. The next week, Georgia goes to Como and has to come from behind to beat the Tigers. What a big win that would have been for Eli Drinkwitz, who was uh, recently awarded a contract extension. And now he's making $6 million a year. He hadn't done enough. Let's just call it for what it is. They Missouri hadn't done enough, but uh, that's the business of college football. I, I guess they feel like the defense is playing better. They have some young offensive talent. They feel like they're headed in the right direction. But six million a year. Pretty crazy. But Georgia finds a way to get it done. They take over in the fourth quarter, exert their will, and they win 26-22. The next week they host Auburn. Again, the most frequent opponent in Georgia history, they went 42 to 10. The next week, they blast Vanderbilt 55 nothing. And the uh, the cocktail party, it's a 42 20 win for Georgia. And then last week, a lot of people thought Tennessee had a chance. I, I did not. I thought Tennessee would make a game of it for a while, but it, ultimately Georgia just simply too talented. They've been in that moment before, and, and Tennessee beats Alabama at home. The chances of them going on a road and winning between the hedges is not very good. It's a 27-13 win. And you wonder how much emotional energy is left in the tank. That game ultimately decides the SEC East. And so now you've got to go on the road and play a Mississippi State team. It's somewhat scrappy at times. Of course, they follow up with a trip to Lexington next week and then at home against Georgia Tech. But um, – a very impressive season so far for Georgia. But, again, you know, sometimes there that they've had a little bit of malaise. Kent State, Missouri both kind of made some things happen. Can't believe we're talking about the Golden Flashes. But Georgia as a team has scored 361 points this year. They've allowed 97. 97 points in nine games. It's ridiculous. Georgia, 233 first downs as a team allowed 127. So more than 100 first downs. You talk about somebody that's controlling the flow of a game. They've ran for 1,746 yards, allowed 777. Shout out to Striper. Some of y'all will get that reference. Passing, 2,882 yards passing as a team. They've allowed 16-12. Wouldn't it be great if we could come back and say, you know what, they've allowed 2,000 or something next week? Total offense, it, this is it's just gaudy, really. 4,628 yards. They're averaging 514 yards per game, allowing just 265. 2,389 total. They've scored 44 offensive touchdowns. They've allowed eight. Kickoff return average, 19.36. They were allowing 19.33, so that's pretty much a wash there. The difference is they're just kicking off a lot more often. They're not getting a lot of returns, though, because they're putting the ball in the end zone, doing it regularly. Georgia's thrown three picks, no return yardage, and uh, they've picked off just seven passes. And they haven't been a great pass rushing team they were last weekend. 
They really got in hand in Hooker's face. But they have not been a team. You would think the number one team, probably a great pass rushing team. They really haven't been. That's an elite front. It's a really good group of linebackers. So we'll see what happens, how Mississippi State can keep Will Rogers, you know, on his spot. And last weekend, Mississippi State's offensive line played their worst game of the year. So they're going to have to answer the bell, to say the least. Punt average, 43.4 yards, four, 41.9 against. And State's punting last weekend was abysmal. Punting's been pretty good this year, but it wasn't last weekend. So those guys, again, they've got to get up off the mat and do some things better. Uh, Georgia's opponents have punted 53 times this year. Georgia's punted just 22 times. Again, these numbers are scary. Uh, penalties, it's about the same, right? Georgia giving up 41, just 41 yards a game, and then their opponents 47. So it's not like the Georgia's getting a ton of calls. It's not like Alabama, right? Third down conversion, the Bulldogs outstanding here. 52.78% conversion rate. And on defense, their opponents 27 Georgia staying on the field, their opponents aren't. You'd expect that, right? Fourth down conversions, Georgia's 8 of 9. Their opponents, 8 of 18. Georgia has fumbled the football 12 times, though, and lost 8 of them. And they had, they've had some fumbles here as of late. Kirby Smart addressed that in his, his press conference. They've got to do a better job taking care of the football. Georgia has uh, been sacked 16 times this year. They've only got seven sacks as a team. Did you expect that coming? It's kind of an anomaly when you look at how dominant they've been in every other aspect of the game. Kind of an interesting thing, too. Georgia has not missed a PAT, nor have any of their opponents. Between the two, it's 51 for 51. Red zone attempts. Georgia has been to the red zone 51 times. They have converted 50 of 51. 35 of those have been touchdowns. Just one time all year have they reached the opponent's 20-yard line and not come away with points. Very efficient. They're number one for a reason. The opponents have only been in the red zone 17 times. Georgia's allowed 11 scores, so six stops once you get into the red zone. And only five of those scores have been touchdowns. Think about that for a second. Somebody can move the ball between the 20s and then they can't get the ball in the end zone. There's, again, there's a reason Georgia's number one. Th- this rushing game is maybe not as potent as it was last year. They're doing a good job by committee kind of spreading these carries around. Daywan De- Edwards uh, leads the team with 486 yards, averaging 54 a game. Kenny McIntosh, 42.67. Uh, Kendall Milton, 292 yards for 41 a game. And then Branson Robinson from Germantown, Mississippi, former number one running back in the country, playing as a true freshman, played in, all, played in eight of nine games so far. Uh, he's had 48 attempts and has 240 yards, averaging five yards a carry, which is among the, uh, the leaders on the team, has the one touchdown, averaging 30 yards a game. It's a good chance we see him. Down the list is Stetson Bennett, sneaky good athlete, He's not Robbie Ashford, but he will make you pay when you lose contain. I think where his mobility really 
helps him the most is just buying time when things break down. He extends plays and gives his receivers a chance to kind of work back to him. But uh, there are a lot of players that have carried the football for Georgia this year. They really spread it around. They're going to just keep continue to bring fresh legs in there and just kind of grind you out. All right, speaking of Bennett, passing this year, really efficient. 67.81 completion percentage. He is 198 of 292. Throwing just three picks, 11 touchdowns. Averaging just under 290 yards per game. Carson Beck has played some in mop-up duty. I hope we don't see him. Not that I'm scared of him, but I just hope the game does not dictate the point that the backup quarterback has to get in in mop-up duty. 23 of 30 for a 76.67 completion percentage. Four touchdowns against no picks. Getting it done. So just when you think things are going to drop off, nope, Jordan's still pretty efficient. All right, receiving Brock Bowers leads the team. 574 yards. And this is a guy, too, is, is a walking mismatch. He is the tight end, arguably the best in the uh, the conference and perhaps the country. 6'4", 230-pounder from Napa Valley, California. Just a sophomore. This is a guy that in many respects is what you want in a modern-day tight end. Got his physical when it comes to the run game, but also, too, a guy that can get out there and go make some things happen out in a pass pattern. You never know where he's going to line up. They move him around a lot. He's really, really good. 34 catches. Again, 574 yards, three touchdowns. Leads a team in average receiving yards per game. Lad McConkey. Of course, that's from the Phil McConkey tree from the Giants from years ago. Some of you old dogs know that. 38 catches for them, which uh, leads a team. Where's number 84 for them? It's a guy that gets it done. 507 yards, three touchdowns. Darnell Washington's having a good year. 19 catches. Uh, average per reception leading the team. It's just over 17 yards among the regulars. There's some guys down the depth chart, of course. It's made a couple plays here and there. But uh, Darnell having a, a good year, to say the least. Hasn't reached the end zone yet, though. Uh, Kenny McIntosh, we talked about him. This is a guy that gets it done in the running game, also part of their passing game. They swing it out to him a lot, 31 grabs this year and just the one touchdown. But uh, getting things done, you know, and, and like Adonai Mitchell still hadn't played. He's been banged up much, much of the year. And it's like the fact that you can lose a player of that caliber and kind of continue to keep things rolling says a lot about your ability to recruit and develop players. Pretty impressive, man. It is. All right, defensively, let's take a look. Not the defense it was a year ago, but still great. I mean, this group, even though they don't get after the passer the way that perhaps some other people have, pretty impressive. Maybe I got my numbers wrong on these sacks. Maybe I did. Still not a great pass rushing team, but, um, yeah, I think I have my numbers backwards. So forgive me for that. But uh, Jamon Dumas-Johnson leads the team with 42 tackles. Six TFLs, three sacks, 16 quarterback hurries. That's the guy you got to pick up in the pre-snap read right there. Kind of got to know what's going on with him. Uh, originally from Hyattsville, Maryland, at St. Francis Academy, another inside linebacker, and, and just a long lineage of, of backers at Georgia. So many great players. 
You know, it's like you lose Nicobe Dean in that group last year, and you think, okay, well, then they'll, they'll take a step back. Nope, nope. Not when you recruit at that level. You, you never really have a rebuilding year. All right, Malachi Starks, 40 tackles for him on the year, a couple of interceptions, six pass breakups, also the one quarterback hurry. And a guy that, you know, secondary's got to be good for them in this ball game. They have been. And Kirby Smart mentioned that, too. Your secondary's got to play good every game. Malachi Stark's just a freshman, too, from Jefferson, Georgia. Just a freshman out there among the leaders on this team. That's an impressive way to get it done, right? A guy that shows up and he's second on the team in tackles. Uh, Christopher Smith, another guy's you know, making big plays, 32 tackles for them, two interceptions, three breakups, a couple quarterback hurries himself. Javon Bullard, another guy, only played in eight games. But 25 tackles, very efficient what he does. Kamari Lasseter is a guy that uh, – a, a name that people are probably somewhat familiar with. It's a guy, if I remember correctly, stayed off for them and just was never really in the game. He's out of Savannah, Georgia. But, um, you know, those kids from Georgia that are really good, they get a chance to go to Athens, they go. Pretty simple. It'd be nice if that happened in Mississippi, right? Some years it does. Not as of late. We need to make sure Mississippi State is a destination type thing. Kids want to play uh, in their home state. But um, and you start running the numbers here. We talk about these sacks. Uh, you know, Jamon Dumas-Johnson with three. Nolan Smith. How do you talk about Georgia without talking about Nolan Smith? Been banged up a little bit of times this year. He also has 16 quarterback hurries. And that's not even the team lead. Uh, Mikel Williams. 14 tackles, 18 quarterback hurries. So he's the guy that's impacting the game, even though he's not filling up the box score and getting guys on the ground. So, you know, this is a very, very talented and young defense. The difference is that they're 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 hitting on young players. There's not this uh, learning curve that maybe perhaps there are to the programs. Kirby and those guys doing a great job recruiting. Absolutely doing a great job recruiting. All right, punting. We always get inside of special teams numbers. And, and again, sometimes you find some, some inconsistencies. We saw that last week. Talked about it on the show as we previewed Auburn. Tula will get a chance to bring one back, and he did. He had a couple big returns in that ball game, And that's the thing when you've got an electric player like that. The more opportunities you give him, the more impact he can put on the game. Xavier Thomas did not play last week. There are some rumors he won't play this week either. We, we've asked, not really been able to get any answers there. But Brett Thorson, uh, 22 punts this year, averaging 43.41s, along of 75, has one touchback, 13 fair catches. He's placed over half of his kicks inside the 20 and has three of 50-plus. Guy's getting it done. Again, that's the thing about this Georgia team. There's just not a lot of perceived weaknesses. You look up and down their order, their specialists getting it done, return guys getting it done, defense getting it done. They're not number one by accident. 17 of 19 in field goals made against the Tempest this year. Uh, Jack, I know I'm going to mispronounce this. Podlesny, 16 of 18. The one miss, or he has two misses, excuse me, one from 40 to 49 and then one from 50 plus. But everything under 40, Georgia as a team has been automatic. Uh, Jared Zirkel has one attempt this year and he made that one too. So, they line up for a field goal, chances are they're going to make it, unlike the Bulldogs where sometimes we have to hold our breath. 
Uh, kick, this is what's interesting here, the, the, the kick numbers. It's not quite as dominant as you might think because they're kicking off a lot, right? But they've had 68 kickoffs this year, and only 47 of them are touchbacks. So 21 of those kicks are returnable. The two of them were out of bounds, so you're, now you're talking 19. But basically, one out of every three kickoffs, you have the opportunity to return. Does that give Tulu a chance to shorten the field for us? One would think. Now, granted, you're going to have some faster, very talented players running down the field, and that's not a shot at Auburn. Auburn's got dudes. They just haven't been really, maybe been coached well and hadn't bought into that culture. But Tulu may have a chance. It's not as bad as it was last last week. You know, that was the thing you, you kind of expected more times than not when Auburn kicked off, we were going to have a chance to return it, and we did more times than not. And ultimately had a play that kind of Gave Mississippi State all the juice, even though we kind of squandered away there in the third quarter. So maybe a chance for Tulu again this week. This depends on how many times Georgia kicks off. And hopefully it's not a whole lot. But the reality of it is, is this is a team that is decidedly better than Mississippi State. And it's not just on paper. If you've watched Georgia play this year, you know, with rare exception, they're very mechanical in what they do. Very methodical in what they do. They're not out there just out-athleting people. They have a plan. They execute it at a high level of proficiency. Kind of important to, look, to know that, too. You know, it's not just the talent. There's the coaching to go with it. There are a lot of teams that have talent and don't have coaching. There are a lot of teams that have coaching and no talent. Georgia has both, elite coaching and elite talent. Very interesting to see what's happened. I remember when Kirby's first year, people were kind of laughing, oh, you know, ha, 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 Kirby's not going to get it done. A year later, they're playing for a NFL championship, and eventually they win one. I think it's important to understand that too. You know, sometimes it takes a little while to get your guys in and kind of get them going. Like, I look at Billy Napier in Florida, right, and not to say they're going to be in the NFL championship picture, but, you know, I think Billy's a guy that's kind of making the, the making good of what he has, and I won't be the least bit surprised to see a much improved Florida team next year. Again, kind of looking at some of these comparison numbers, you know, like Georgia is just a team that just kind of mauls you up a little bit. They have outrushed every opponent this year with one exception. Oregon ran for eight more yards. But in every other game, the running attack has been decidedly in favor of the Georgia Bulldogs. Probably the greatest example of that is against Auburn. Georgia ran for 292 yards. Auburn ran for 92. But more times than not, it's 100-plus in favor of Georgia. Pretty incredible when you think about it. Samford ran for 19, 17 carries for 19 yards. You'd, you'd expect them to struggle a little bit. You know, State did a good job slowing this Georgia running game down back in 2020. If memory serves me correct, I think it was the lowest rushing total Georgia had had against an SEC opponent in the modern era. The passing numbers, you know, just kind of looking inside this stuff here, you know, not only are they outrushing you, they're outthrowing you. They have outpassed every opponent this year, every single one. So, of course, when you start thinking about offensive comparison numbers, they're not close. Georgia – more times than not, it's putting up 500 yards or more. You know, the lowest offensive output they've had this year was last week against Tennessee. They ran 62 plays for 387 yards. Tennessee ran 75 plays, 13 more plays, 
and had about 100 less yards. It's remarkable. I'm not going to sit here and tell you these guys are unbeatable, but I'll tell you this. This is a team that is clicking on all cylinders. It's incredible. I mean, it really is. Absolutely incredible when you begin to look at these numbers. And, again, maybe not the star power they had a year ago. I think that's fair, which says a lot about this coaching staff. It's, it's absolutely remarkable to look at these numbers. And it's not like they're just beating up on, you know, the Mississippi School of Math and Science. But if we're being fair about this, you know, you had all summer long to prepare for Oregon. You beat Samford, as you should, an FCS team. South Carolina is going to be a 6-6 six and six team. Kent State, you know, come on. Missouri, a team that's going to struggle to get to be bowl eligible. Auburn, a team is probably not going to be bowl eligible unless they went out. Vanderbilt's not going to be bowl eligible. Florida's looking at 6-6, six and six, maybe 7-5. and five. I guess they could conceivably get to 8-4. and four. Then there's Tennessee, who could still get into the playoff. Pretty crazy when we think about that. You know, Tennessee needs Alabama to win out, and they need Georgia to win out to kind of pull them along, right? Because Tennessee's ahead of Alabama. They don't need Alabama to go in the tank. They need to help them in the, in the playoff rankings there. And so Alabama, of course, beats Ole Miss this weekend. That benefits Tennessee as well. But, again – while Georgia has been dominant, they have not played a very good schedule. You know, of course, you know, nobody can look at the league this year, I think, uh, without with rare exception and say, you know what, hey, we've played a great schedule because there's a lot of parity within the Southeastern Conference this year. Absolutely a lot of parity within the league this year. As well there should be. But I think at the beginning of the year, we all thought it will be Georgia and Alabama than everybody else. And it really hadn't been. A&M's been a big disappointment. Tennessee, even though we expect them to be good, in better shape. I think I don't think there's anybody. I think even, even the biggest homer fan from Tennessee is surprised at how well they played this year. I think, I think that's just fair. And I'm happy to see it. I think the SEC needs Tennessee to be good. And I think those of us in the West would like to see Tennessee be better. Because there have been teams in the past, it's kind of been Georgia and Florida kind of by default. Not to take anything away from Georgia. But Tennessee, obviously, a little bit ahead of schedule. And happy to see that, for sure. But, uh, again, Georgia in the East, number one, 6-0, 9-0 overall. Tennessee right there behind them. And, of course, Georgia holds a tiebreaker. So, in order for Tennessee to win the East, they got to have Georgia lose their last two conference games. And Tennessee would have to win their final games. But that's just not going to happen for Georgia. I mean, they're not going to lose to us and Kentucky. It's just it's not going to happen. So, Georgia wins this week at Mississippi State. They clinch the SEC East. Right behind Tennessee, South Carolina at 3-3. Three and three. And, again, I don't think South Carolina wins in the game this year. They end up at 6-6. Six and six. Kentucky's at 3-3. Three and three. There's a good chance that they will, they will leapfrog South Carolina and end up being third in the East and probably right there at 8-4. and four. Florida's 2-4 and four in the league. Can't have a winning record in the league. And with Kentucky having the head-to-head matchup, I think Kentucky wins, you know, one more game. And then, uh, you know, Kentucky could uh, – would hold the tiebreaker. So, and, and while that's important is you start looking at the bowl pecking order when you start ranking the teams and our standings of who gets slotted elsewhere. So, Kentucky uh, – South Carolina will dip below them. So if it ends in a 
record between Kentucky and Florida, Kentucky gets denied there. So it'd be interesting, to say the least. And Missouri, I told you, they're two and four. Good chance that they could win three, the two of the last three, though, and get bowl eligible. I don't know that I believe that until they beat South Carolina. Vanderbilt, of course, 0 and 5, 3 and 6. They won't win another game. And remember, they were 3 and 1. Everybody's like, look at this. Look at it now. Big games this weekend in the SEC West, and we're going to preview these uh, in depth on uh, Friday. But, uh, of course, LSU now first place, a half game ahead of Ole Miss by virtue of the fact that they have, uh, they have played that one extra conference game. This is kind of one of those anomalies in the schedule. They have UAB late, while Ole Miss has three SEC games to go. LSU will be at Arkansas and then will play A&M after the UAB game. But if LSU wins this weekend, that makes them 6-1. and one. They would need to, in order for there to be complete pandemonium, they would have to, and I don't know there could be, quite honestly. Ole Miss beats Alabama. That makes them 5-1, and one, right? But if LSU wins their final two conference games, Ole Miss can't catch them. I, I do think Ole Miss is going to drop some games here down the stretch. But, you know, Alabama, of course, now 4-2, and two, and they LSU holds a tiebreaker over them. So they would need LSU to lose both of those remaining conference games to Arkansas and to Texas A&M. So there is a chance that this weekend we know who is in Atlanta. If LSU beats Arkansas, which I expect to happen, and Alabama beats Ole Miss, well, then LSU, it is impossible for anybody to catch them at that point because they would be 6-1 and one, and everybody else would have at least two losses. And the two teams with two losses, LSU would have defeated, so they would hold a tiebreaker over them. So even if LSU lost to A&M, they would still go to Atlanta. And then just kind of sitting right there in the thick of things is State with a 3-3 three and three record. And again, we expect to take a four loss, fourth loss in the league this weekend. And then you beat East Tennessee State. And you basically, I think the bowl destination boils down to what happens in the Egg Bowl. I mean, that's the thing, too, you begin to think about. Ole Miss is 4-1. and one. What happens if they lose to Alabama – then have to go play Arkansas, who will be desperate to win to get a bowl, to get bowl eligible. What kind of condition will Ole Miss be in mentally? Knowing they're eliminated from the race, right? Lane Kiffin's a good coach. Probably better than most of us give him credit for. But that's a tough trip to Arkansas. And when you look at this Ole Miss-Arkansas thing, too, it's, it's like it, that has been kind of a sneaky good series that I think maybe a lot of people in the league have kind of slept on a little bit. You know, we, we all know Auburn, Georgia, right? You know, Tennessee, Alabama. But this, you know, the, the Ole Miss-Arkansas series has been a little weird over the years. But Ole Miss has not had a lot of success winning in Fayetteville especially as of late. Back in 2014, you remember that's a, you remember that year? And that's when Bad Bo showed up down there and Arkansas won 30 to nothing. In 16, Ole Miss goes up there, Arkansas wins 34-30. They finally get over the hump in 18. Of course, that's the Chad Morris team. But even then, the game was ultra competitive. Ole Miss wins 37-33. And then in 2020, they go up there and Sam Pippen and those guys beat them 33-21. Last year in Oxford, one of the wildest games in the SEC, Ole Miss gets a big defensive stand uh, there late. Two-point conversion attempt, not good. 
uh, didn't like the play call uh, with KJ Jefferson there to be. It's not on him, but the reality of it is, this has been a pretty wild and crazy thing. And it's kind of going back to looking at the series history here. Ole Miss won in Little Rock in 2012, but Arkansas won in Fayetteville in uh, 2010. And so you start putting you know, these games together in Arkansas soul. Arkansas, for some reason, just simply has Ole Miss's number when they play in the natural state. And so there was a stretch there from 14 uh, to 17 where Arkansas won four in a row. Now, Ole Miss has won three of the last four. So it's a sneaky good series, and I think that would be an absolutely fun game to watch. But could Arkansas win the game? They absolutely could. And then so what happens to Ole Miss? Let's say they lose to Alabama and they lose that road game and they had, you know, get back late on a short week. What happens if State and Ole Miss end the year with the same record? What happens to all the perceptions then? That's the thing. All year long, we've heard about how Mississippi State is trailing behind Ole Miss. So what happens if they end the year with an 8-4 and four record and State has the egg? Just uh, food for thought there. Lots got to happen for that, you know, for that to take place. But uh, going to be a good weekend for college football, to say the least. All right, our final segment of the show brought to you by Portico. I love Portico, and uh, I would move there if I was moving to Starkville. That's the first place that I would look because I can kind of get it how I want it, right? Like you can get a custom build there. Many of you, you just kind of pick a house and you kind of make the best of it. You know, wouldn't it be cool to say, you know what, here is what we really want and then get that. You can reach out to my friend Brooks Bryan and get that. Brooks' phone number is 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. Portico is a great residential development. You can go take a self-guided tour yourself next time you're in town. Turn off of 82 onto 12, like going to campus. The very first ride is Pat Station Road. You take a right there, cross a four-way stop. There's Portico on your right. You can start with a two-bedroom, two-bath home, go all the way up to a four-bedroom, four-bath home. Whether it be your ballgame weekend retreat, your primary residence, your future retirement home, Portico has a plan for you. Reach out to Brooks. You'll be glad that you did. Just because, number one, you're dealing business with Bulldogs. I like to do business with Bulldogs whenever I can, right? Because I feel like when I do business with Bulldogs, not only do, am I helping the family, but at some point I feel like that money will matriculate into the Bulldog Club or the Bulldog Initiative, right, rather than some other organizations for some universities I may not like because I know people committed to Mississippi State give money to Mississippi State. So a portion of my money, not only the money that I give directly, but the money that I would give to, say, Portico, going to wind up in the coffers of Mississippi State. So do business with Bulldogs whenever you can, and uh, the fine folks of Portico – absolutely filled with bulldog spirit make portico your next move all right let's do a little recruiting talk before we get out of here uh, maybe before we do remind you too things have been hot with dog pile we got a lot of book signings coming up i this, this friday afternoon i'm going to be at uh, maroon and company maybe you're familiar maroon and company at the um you know right there by chick-fil-a if you hadn't been come by and check it out you'd be glad you did I'm going to be with those folks, and I'm looking it up right now just to make sure I give you the right information. I, I, don't, I don't want to mislead you. So from 2 to 5 this Friday, I will be at Maroon & Company. As soon as that is over, I'm headed downtown to Book Martin Cafe for the Unwind event. 
If you don't have tickets, you need to get those. Saturday, prior to the Georgia game, I will be at the Lodge from 1.30 to 4. So three chances to see me this weekend in three different locations. If you can't make it to town, go to dogpiledabook.com. You can get copies of Dogpile, which is back on the Mississippi bestsellers list. How about that? That's pretty cool. Uh, and, you know, nine months after release, it's back on the bestseller list. So thank you guys for that. Um, you can get Dogpile, Stark Villains, Alpha Dogs, and Flim Flim. And, again, quantities of villains and alpha dogs are very, very small. Very, very small. So, and again, that's going to go out of print next year. We'll do a short run in 2024. But it, if you need those books, you need to order them. You can sign copies at dogpilebook.com. Uh, be sure and, and check that out. And again, I'll be around and you get a chance to come, come visit me and uh, maybe see my smiling face. All right, let's talk recruiting. Uh, last night, big news out of Lausanne Collegiate School there in the Metro Memphis area, Luke Work picked up an offer from Mississippi State. Now, this is a young man, too, that uh, is kind of affectionately known as Big Red in some circles. His family originally from the Cleveland, Mississippi area, big Bulldog fans. Uh, his aunt, Julie Bishop, perhaps the biggest of the Bulldog fans in central Mississippi, if not beyond. Luke picked up an offer from Mississippi State yesterday. 2024 offensive lineman, has been to the Mississippi State campus several times, obviously was at our camp last year. One of the top performers in the offensive line group last year, heading into his junior season. He'll be back on campus this weekend. And uh, as his lovely Aunt Julie said, this weekend will feel a little bit different. And I, I suspect that it will, because now Luke has the opportunity to be a Bulldog someday. And not just the dream of being a Bulldog, he now has the scholarship offer uh, from Mississippi State. That was communicated to him yesterday uh, by Coach Mason Miller, Bulldog offensive line coach. I understand, too, that Tennessee is also a, a team that uh, is probably expected to offer sooner rather than later. This is not a home state deal, though, for Tennessee. You know, and that's not to say that Luke won't give Tennessee a long look. I'm sure he absolutely will. Uh, but Luke's Bulldog. Okay, that, he's grown up a Bulldog. And so it's not a situation where he has grown up with any allegiance to Tennessee or or Vanderbilt. So that's something to really watch in the days ahead and weeks ahead, months. I don't think he's in any hurry whatsoever. Uh, but the reality of it is this is a significant offer because Luke Work can play football. We talk about offensive line recruiting. Looks like it's going to be a pretty good in-state crop next year. And then this is kind of an extension of that, right? you got a Mississippi kid that's playing up at Lausanne. Uh, and so I think Luke Work is a guy, obviously, that will be a priority target for Mississippi State. And if you saw the social media reaction to his offer yesterday, you can kind of get an idea of the quality of the people that are around him, friends and family-wise. So it would be a great uh, addition to Mississippi State. Now let's talk some other recruiting stuff. Uh, Shamar Carter out of Plaquemine High School. You may not be familiar with Plaquemine. It's right there across the river outside of Baton Rouge. Uh, they were in our district when I coached high school baseball. And uh, – had some good memories over there. They produced some really good players. Port Allen, Plaquemine, all, all those schools down there, there are a lot of kids in that Metro Baton Rouge area that have some real grit to them. Uh, Shamar Carter is a DB. I think he ultimately plays safety. He does have some corner skill. I just think that he will outgrow that. Uh, spent some time on a Mississippi State campus recently. He is a take. I think that he is probably – good chance he's one of your next Bulldogs. Of course, Bulldogs will be uh, hosting official visitors next month. 
but Shamar Carter, Mississippi State, his first SEC offer. And we've got to go get some DBs. We absolutely have to go get some DBs in this class. We're going to be losing a lot of safeties. Of course, Jalen Green's going. Not sure what Jackie Matthews is going to do. Sean Preston will be moving on. I think Colin Duncan is likely back. But the reality of it is is that we have got to get some young guys in that developmental pipeline at safety. I think Shamar Carter fits. I like his film. When I watch his film, I wonder, what, what am I missing here? Is it the fact that he's a bit of a tweener, right? Maybe he at this point he's not maybe the big physical safety and maybe at corner you're worried that he might outgrow the position. Maybe he's a bit of a tweener. And that's the beauty of our defense because we can utilize people like that. And so I think he fits what we want to do. Uh, but watch his film. I think you'll be excited about him. And, again, I do think that he is uh, ultimately going to be a bulldog unless some things change. Uh, Jaden Hobson, an offensive lineman from Hillcrest High School over in Tuscaloosa, really like him a lot too. He uh, was a former Southern Miss commitment. And this is a guy that is an absolute monster, absolute monster. And you look at him on film and he plays like a monster. Now, he's a guy, too, you look at his offer sheet and you kind of wonder, yeah, what am I missing here? Missouri's on him, and, of course, that's Marcus Johnson, our friend, Marcus Johnson, former offensive line coach under Joe Moorhead. Marcus, a guy that's had some pretty good evaluations, you know, over the years. I I, kind of trust his evaluations because I know how methodical Marcus is about things. Marcus is a good dude. He absolutely is. I know that he played at Ole Miss, and a lot of people were like, oh, when he got hired, oh, we don't need to rebel up here. Marcus Johnson did a great job when he was here at Mississippi State, really did. And uh, he was the reason that Mississippi State got Charles Charles Cross. Great job right there. And Charles Cross, obviously one of the best offensive linemen to ever wear the maroon and white. So there's some validation to me with Hobson's offer. If we offer him, I think that's good enough. But I feel a little bit better when I say, hey, you know what? Somebody else that I know, respect, and trust has also offered him. So it's not like I don't think it's as a reach. Make sense? I think ultimately Hobson is going to be a Bulldog, and he does plan to take his official visits and take maybe go see State and Missouri in December. I think in the end, the chance to play closer to home will be a factor. And, it, you know, again, it's Mason Miller now versus Marcus Johnson. So you got to go get it done. Now, one of the things that's interesting, too, is uh, Hobson has a couple Mississippi State guys on his high school staff. I don't say that to suggest anything nefarious. I just think there are people there that – it's a lot easier for him to kind of discuss his college decision and get feedback about Mississippi State from people that have lived here and played here and experienced the Mississippi State uh, family. And so I think that's important too. Again, not that somebody would steer the kid here, but I think it's helpful that he has some people around him that can answer questions and kind of share their experiences about the Mississippi State experience. And then there's Isaac Smith, and uh, this time last week we thought he was headed to LSU. I guess maybe on Wednesdays when we first started hearing that he was going to be here. It was kind of a back-and-forth deal, and it's funny that people – there's kind of a revisionist history about that. But first of the week last week, the talk was he was going to go see LSU Alabama. And then middle of the week I was saying, well, I was told, well, that's a long way to drive after a playoff game, and uh, it's supposed to, the weather is supposed to be bad, so there's a good chance he ends up in Starkville. And then Friday night I had somebody tell me, I think he's going to end up going to LSU after all. Well, he doesn't. He ends up coming here with some friends, uh, has a good time. And so Isaac has been here several times this year. I have had my crystal ball pick on Mississippi State for a couple months now. I believe he's going to be a Bulldog. Uh, Ole Miss trying to get in with him a little bit too. Ole Miss already has a handful of safeties committed. There's a part of me sometimes too. I think, you know, maybe this is a – 
and I don't mean this in, in a slight to Isaac Smith, but I think maybe Ole Miss fans have put a lot of pressure on their staff, kind of like, why are we not recruiting this guy? Kind of like our state fans did about Dante Daldell with pick, at, at Picayune. Like our fans were like, why are we not recruiting this guy? And I think people get tired of hearing it, so maybe there's some, some of this with Ole Miss and, and Isaac Smith. But I think in the end, you know, state has recruited him harder than anybody else throughout this process, made he and his family feel like a priority. He spends a lot of time here. He has friends here. I think this ultimately will be a situation where Mississippi State fans feel really good about it. I think Isaac Smith's going to be a Bulldog. I think Isaac will play as a freshman. I think if Isaac stays healthy and works hard, Isaac Smith's going to go to the National Football League. I think he has that type of ability. These are the kinds of guys you have to keep in state. Simple as that. You have to keep these guys in state and get them in your locker room and moving you forward. And I think not only does that help for in-state recruiting moving forward, but you don't want to go play against these guys, right? It's like it's one thing if you don't get them, but then you got to go play against them. And I remember something Melvin Smith said, and I've never forgotten this. It's not the kids you don't sign that get you beat. It's the kids you sign that can't play to get you beat. That's the issue with Isaac Smith. If you don't sign him, I don't know that you can find a comparable replacement. Does that make sense? So you got to go get Isaac Smith because there's not another guy out there within a recruiting footprint that I think is as good as Isaac Smith. That kid is really, really talented. Really, really talented. He's a difference maker, and I think he could have a, a very, very impressive career here at Mississippi State. And you look at the way this defense has played at times and shown some real flashes, uh, I can see why, as a defensive back, I would be intrigued uh, by playing for Zach Arnett. And so – that's kind of where things stand today. So I think right now, if I had to call it, the four guys that we discussed, Luke Work, uh, Shamar Carter, Jaden Hobson, and Isaac Smith, if I had to call it today, I think all four of them are going to be Bulldogs. Of course, Luke is a 2024, but I think when you start piecing this thing together and kind of filling out this offensive line class, Hobson makes perfect sense as a tackle. Carter and Smith as defensive backs. So we got to get safeties. I mean, that, that, that is probably the most critical position left on the board for Mississippi State when you think about the recruiting needs for the 2023 class. It's defensive back, especially safety. And you've got some really talented guys there uh, that could fill the need. All right, that's it. If you hadn't done so, go to dogpilebook.com, get those books. And uh, if you're looking for Stark Villains gear, go to starkvillains.com. A lot of fun stuff over there. And the holidays are coming up, and you've probably got that hard-to-buy-for aunt or uncle that listens to this show and you don't know what they would get, I can tell you they may not ask for it, but they'd love to have a Stark Villains t-shirt or hoodie. Be sure and follow through with that. Starkvillains.com. Hey, guys, that's it. And uh, we didn't talk about basketball much today, but before we get out the door, let me just share this with you real quick here. The ladies are in action tonight against Mississippi Valley State. Mississippi Valley State tonight, the debut of uh, Sam Purcell at Mississippi State. I'm excited about Sam Purcell, really, I mean, his attitude is absolutely infectious. So tonight, 7 p.m. at the Hump, it will be on the ESPN Network Plus. So you can watch it on your Roku uh, and on the ESPN app. So that's tonight, November 9th. Of course, the men, Chris Jans and the guys pick up a big win over a team that could be a net builder for them. 63-44, you know, at the half, you're a little bit worried about that. But in the second half, State absolutely dominates uh, the second half of that ball game. And Texas A&M Corpus Christi, an NCAA tournament team last year, returned much of their roster. And I believe the starting five were all 
uh, on the team last year. So that is a very good win for Mississippi State. It may not look like it right now, but I think in the end when you look back and these guys are expected to win their league, I think it helps State kind of build their resume. Bulldogs back in action this weekend in the Barstool Sports Invitational on uh, in Philadelphia. We will play Akron this Friday. It's a 6 p.m. tip. Be sure and uh, check that out. And then be back in Starkville on Sunday against Arkansas Pine Bluff. That is Kids Day. So be thinking about that as you kind of move ahead. But, again, congratulations to Coach Chris Jans uh, for picking up win number one. And uh, really impressed with the, the effort level from our guys. And a lot of new faces, but I tell you what, really impressed with how hard these guys play. And that's one of the reasons that we targeted Chris Jans in the first place. He's a guy that would bring a more exciting brand of basketball. We'd play with a lot of effort. And that's not in any way a shot at anybody else. But we're looking forward, and I think Chris Jans was the man for the job, is the man for the job, and is going to take Mississippi State men's basketball uh, to new heights. So congratulations to everybody involved with Mississippi State men's basketball. We look forward again uh, to seeing uh, Coach Purcell and the ladies get their first win uh, tonight. If you can make it out, come out and join us. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.